We're not going to change anything in the order of songs today, but I was 95% tempted for us to come back and sing that Knowing You song again at the close of our service. Um, Tim oftentimes knows where I'm going with the message and what portion of the scriptures we'll be in, but there were so many things that apply right from that song to what we're going to talk about today, and I'm excited. I cannot, I could not be more excited about what God is going to do during the next 40 minutes or so. I'm thrilled to be able to join with you as a church family and observe communion, remember Christ's sacrifice. And um, I've been out of the pulpit for a couple weeks, so um, we cut a song out so I could actually preach about two and a half hours today. Uh, I've been, I got three, two and a half sermons to preach. We will, I'm joking, we will try to get her done in time. I know it is still snowing outside, and I do appreciate your patience, but I'm not, I'm not exaggerating when I say I could not be more excited about what I think God's going to be doing as we open his word today. With that said, would you bow your heads and your hearts with me and we'll ask for God's clear involvement. Gracious and merciful and powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God, we thank you for this time. While we do not believe in coincidence, we believe that you are in control of all things each snowflake that is falling on this day, the drive-in that folks had, the week that has preceded this time, this Sunday, what's coming up in individuals' lives. And God, I thank you for this precious, precious book that millions have read and taught through this passage over the years. And I thank you that we can look at it and we ask you for your clear involvement in our time. Would there be just an obvious presence of the Holy Spirit moving among us as he is the most wonderful teacher that we could have? Would you help me not to get in the way of what you would want to happen today? We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. It's interesting to observe life and to see the specific patterns that individuals will go through. I find for myself, and it's interesting how often illustrations revert back to food, but um, I I can't get away from there this morning. When we go through life, it seems like we'll discover something that becomes maybe our new favorite meal. It might be a new favorite restaurant, but maybe you as a family will find something, a meal that you really enjoy, and you'll say, boy, this is the best ever, and so you'll start to have it, and you'll have it maybe once a week or maybe twice a week. You'll have it a lot for an extended amount of time, maybe weeks and maybe even months, until you get to the point of this most favorite meal of yours and your family's, you get to the point where you don't want it anymore. You've had it so much. I went through a phase like this not too long ago with Parmesan-crusted tilapia. I had that Parmesan-crusted tilapia, and I thought this was the best thing I had ever had. I could not believe it. I started buying it and having it in the house and I'd have it in the afternoon. Sometimes I'd have it in the mornings. Don't judge me. (laughs) I would have it a lot. I enjoyed it a lot. And then I got to the point where I didn't want any more of that particular meal. I got burnt out on it, if you will. I wonder, I wonder if you've had a similar experience. I wonder if you've had an experience in your life where you actually have participated in something or done something and you love, you've loved it, but you've gotten to the point where you don't quite love it anymore. Maybe you get to the point where you no longer want to do it anymore. 
That leads me to this pointed question, and don't rush to an answer too quickly, as many people will be on um, either side of this question. Can a Christian burn out? Now, I know my thoughts on this, and I've been observing the church world for 40 years or so now, and so I've seen different things, I've experienced different things. Some things that I've experienced right from my own life. When I was a teenager, I can remember getting as involved as I could at my church, and I loved it. I loved my pastor and loved my church family, loved my youth pastor, and I can remember jumping in and getting involved and doing as much as I could. And I can remember getting to a point where I no longer wanted to be involved. I kind of was, I got a job, and I said, if you want to schedule me on Sundays, you can do so. And I got to a point where I went from being so, so busy to not very busy. And patiently and lovingly, the Lord got a hold of my heart within just a short amount of time. And I can remember talking to the assistant pastor and saying, well, I'd like to do this, and I'd like to do this. And he said, whoa, 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 we don't want to burn you out. And he was speaking from experience with me from before. Can a Christian burn out? Is it possible? Don't answer too quickly. I have a certain opinion on this. Maybe that will come through as we go through our text today. But I will tell you this. I was talking in the past year with one of our other church leaders. We were talking about individuals in the church participating in this and um, one individual doing more than one thing. And I brought up this idea. We need to be very, very careful that we don't overload them, that we don't burn them out. And imagine my surprise when this church leader who I love and respect says, oh, we don't need to worry about that. They're not going to burn out. That's not going to happen. And it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And I thought, well, aren't you aware of burnout? Don't you know this is very real? And as I was going through our text for today, I saw in there, I thought, oh, perhaps there's more than one side of this. Perhaps the idea of burnout is something that we are maybe jumping onto too, too quickly. I'm going to leave you uh, with that question. Can a Christian burn out? And as we go through our text, I want to encourage you to think on that. Because I think our study in Ephesians sheds some wonderful light on this topic. If you can be patient till we get there, I'm not sure exactly when it will be, but chapters 4, 5, and 6 talk about doing Jumping in, how we are to live the Christian life. In chapters 1, 2, and 3, they come before or after 4, 5, and 6. That's a, that's a softball for you there. They come before 4, 5, and 6. The Bible tells us in Ephesians how we are to live this life and who we are and who our God is before we are told what to do. And so let me go ahead and give you this statement and ask you what you think of it. What do you think if I were to say, if someone is continuing in a healthy growth in their Christian walk, in their knowledge of God and what has been done for them, then they will not burn out. Just chew on that. And as we get to our text today, hopefully we'll shed some more light on that. Um, I want you to go ahead and turn to Psalm number one, if you will, please. Psalm number one. If you're already in Ephesians 1, keep your place there. We will come back to it. But I thought Psalm number 1 would be very helpful for us as we jump into this. While you're turning there and I hear the 
I hear the uh, pages turning. I can even hear your fingers tapping your phones to find the place. I appreciate you checking up on what we're saying. Let me repeat that question. If someone is continuing in a healthy growth of who God is and what has been done for them, they will not burn out. You think on that. Now let me read verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 1 where it says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And look at this picture. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all, in all that he does, he prospers. Picture that tree planted by moving waters, constantly being able to be fed fuel for that tree so that it can produce fruit. I want to go ahead and give you the takeaway for the message today. Some of you are taking notes, and there will be two parts to this. Number one, I want for us to pray for an understanding of three things that we're going to see. If you're not already there, turn to Ephesians chapter one. Ephesians chapter one, we're gonna see three things that I want you to pray for. Pray for an understanding of your certainty. Pray for an understanding of the wealth that you have. And finally, pray for an understanding of the power that you have. I don't want you to pray that you'll get more certainty and get more wealth and get more power but I want you to pray that your eyes will be opened to the certainty and the wealth and the power that is already given to you as a child of God. And then secondly, make this real. Do what is necessary to live in the reality of these things. Today we'll continue to see that the believer does not have to do something and listen very carefully to what I'm saying. Some might think this is controversial. The believer does not have to do something in order to have access to more of God's riches. Did you catch that? We, as followers of Christ, do not have to do something in order to get access to more of God's riches. But instead, we simply need to have our eyes opened to what God has already given his children. It is when we are learning about God's character It is when we are walking through life and something happens and we see clearly from God's word how that applies to our life and then we act in a way or someone else acts in a way and we see clearly how that reminds us of something that we see in the scriptures. And if I can preach just for a little bit, it is when we swim deep in the scriptures. Don't just give it it a, a touch on the way out the door. I love the resource of our daily bread, and I know many of you do as well. It's been around for a long time, and it serves a great purpose. But some of you know the danger of that can be from when you go to, it gives you a little Bible reading part to do, and there can be a temptation some days just to do the nice little flowery reading, which is a spiritual reading, and is good. But we need to not cut out the part in God's word to swim deep in the truths of his word and to see God's faithfulness through our lives and to see God's faithfulness in somebody else's life. 
that you're learning from. You see how they respond when they go through something or when they have success and you see clearly that God is involved. And it's at these times that we will have a deeper understanding of what we have been given as a child of God. And if I can take you back to that picture of the tree planted by the water, never-ending fuel going right by to allow us to produce fruit. All right, all of that to take us to our text, Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians 1, we see here that the Apostle Paul um, is, he is following up what he has just said. He has just given this wonderful doxology in the first half of the chapter. And then we find a prayer in the second half of the chapter. He gives a prayer for these believers. And it is the doxology, the hymn of praise, that leads him to this prayer. Now, I know some of you were possibly bothered by the grammar of the first part of the chapter 1 of Ephesians because we saw an incredible run-on sentence. In the original language, over 200 words without a period. And that's ridiculous, right? The Apostle Paul just goes into this hymn of praise, this doxology about how the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit were involved in the wonderful plan of salvation that he had for us. And for you grammar Nazis, it doesn't get much better in the second half of the chapter because now in the original language, it's about 100 and, it's 169 words without a period. So it gets a little bit better, but still it's a run-on sentence and you'll see some punctuation in your English Bible there. And so um, there's, so very clearly he is just writing from his heart. Look with me at verse number 15 of Ephesians 1. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Now, let's just camp out on those first three words right there to start. For this reason, if you've got the King James, it says, therefore. And whenever you find that, you have to go back and find out why you're reading these next words. For this reason, he's pointing back to that hymn of praise. Because of this wonderful, these spiritual blessings in Christ that we have, because of that, he's going to pray a certain way. But before he gets to that prayer, he says something about this church. He says, I've heard something about you. I've heard about your faith in Christ Jesus. And I've heard about your love towards one another, love towards the saints. And this catches my ear right away. If you belong to a church, if you've been in church world, and there's somebody outside of your church that starts to talk about your church, don't your ears perk up just a little bit? Don't they just a little bit? This past week, I met somebody. I had not known them before. And I met them, and they were connected with somebody in our church, and so they were saying what a great individual this gentleman was, and they had this background with them, and they were blessed. And then they went on to say, and we came. It was a couple that I was talking to, and they said, and we came to Calvary so many years ago. And, and at that point, I leaned in very carefully, and I wanted to hear exactly what they were going to say about my church family, about where I call home as a church fellowship. Why would I do that? Because I'm invested here. I have a love for you. We are working together towards something that is 
amazing. We should be very, very interested. And the Apostle Paul says of these believers at the church at Ephesus, and if it was involved in the other small churches, I believe this was a cyclical letter, it would be given to the church at Ephesus and then rotate between those churches in that region. So he had heard of these churches about a couple things. He says, I've heard about your faith in Christ Jesus and your love toward the saints. And when we see that, it is a beautiful, beautiful picture that you and I should use as an example. The Bible knows nothing of a loveless faith. Listen, the Bible knows nothing of a loveless faith. And it knows nothing of a faithless love. When you think of a loveless faith, it reminds me of that old picture of, of the monks and how they would seclude themselves in a monastery, maybe up in a mountain or away from everything and everybody where they could study God's word and they could worship and sing and yet they had nobody to demonstrate love to. Now, let me just camp out here on one, another controversial statement. You like those? It makes people listen when I say that. Another controversial statement, and it is this. Do you ever think of what people are looking for when they are looking for a church? When someone is looking to attend a church somewhere, and it happens every week, what are people looking for? I would like to suggest to us that many, many people, and I think the majority of people, are looking for a church, and they're looking for how that church family expresses love. They're seeing, or do they love their community? Do they love one another? How are they showing love? That's what many people are looking for. And where the rubber meets the road for most is not that they are looking for necessarily the right doctrine. And for people like me, I, I shudder when I hear that. What are you talking about? You can't consider a church that doesn't have the right teaching in that way. But I think it is accurate to say that the majority of the people are looking first and foremost at this point, does that church love? Do they love one another? Do they love people outside of their church? Now, I'm not saying that it's not important, okay? And I'm not saying it's everybody. I've had people that have said, well, if you go to a church, if it's an IFCA church, which is our association, Independent Fundamental Churches of America, I've heard others say, well, if you go to a church and they've got Awana, then you're going to be in a good good place there. So some people are looking for that. But I think that most people are looking for how that church shows love. For the most part, people aren't having their conversation in the corner booth on Saturday saying, can you believe they changed from being a church that talks about the dichotomy instead of the trichotomy? Can you believe that? They're not worried about that. They are looking at how you show love to the one down the pew from you. And they are looking for you as you will stand up and put your Jesus fish on your car or very clearly you're a churchgoer in your community and they will see how you respond to the teller at the bank. And they will listen for what you say when you are pressed and maybe backed into a corner That is very real. And the Apostle Paul doesn't let us off the hook with just love. He mentions both of them. What is important? We must have the right faith in Christ and we must, we must be demonstrating love. 
Jesus Christ very clearly put it. He said, all men are going to know that you're my disciples by the right creed that you follow. Is that what Jesus said? No. By your love one for another. And so it's very, very sweet that the Apostle Paul says right off the bat, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is key. And I've also heard about your love towards the saints. And in verse 15, that gives us the divide of the book. For those of you who haven't missed one of our talks in the book of Ephesians here, we've divided this book, who you are and what you should do. And that's how Paul addresses them here, who they are, their faith in Christ, what they should do, their love one for another. Look at verse 16 with me. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. We see here that Paul is about to talk about how he's praying for them. He had been praying for this church, and it's not a general prayer. It's very, very specific, very intentional. Some of you have taken the challenge of reading through the screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis, and I appreciate those who have taken this on. I'm going to reference it uh, several times over the next um, months, and let me go ahead and mention one line that jumped out to me regarding this area of prayer. And I just came across this even, um, I think it was two days ago, I came across this and quickly wrote it down. Because when Paul prays here, he's being very intentional about his prayer. And the screw tape letters is written from a senior tempter to a junior tempter, trying to tell them how they can mess everything up to keep someone from coming to Christ. And then to, if they do come to Christ, how you can make them ineffective. And here's what old screw tape writes in his letter. He says about prayer, Tempt him to remember the parrot-like repetition of his prayer from his childhood where real concentration and intelligence have no part. You see, we are to be intentional about our prayers. And here at Calvary, we are a praying church. I appreciate that if you give a prayer request, whether it be on your slip that you leave in the pew in front of you or um, in your ABF group, that prayer will be prayed for by multiple people. And Paul is specific with what he tells them he's praying for here. He sets up the specifics by asking God to give them intelligence and discernment about what they have in Christ. They need to have discernment about what they already have in Jesus Christ. And I think it's accurate to call this process um, for the believer part of his sanctification. If I can use this, we are praying, and you can pray for yourself to have your eyes unblocked and have your ears unplugged in your Christian life. Part of your sanctification means part of how you are growing. It's like it reminds me of a story that I heard about a couple, a couple that had saved up for years to go on their dream vacation, and it was a cruise. They wanted to go on a cruise and escape the cold weather and so finally they saved up, enough, saved up enough money and bought the tickets and went on the cruise. And as they went down there on the cruise, they went and the cruise ship was phenomenal. It was just amazing. They were able to go and enjoy the scenery and enjoy the games and the deck chairs and just everything that was so beautiful. And they went and sat down for their first meal there on the cruise ship and they went and got some saltine crackers and found some free ketchup packets sat down outside and had some saltines and ketchup for their meal. 
somebody walked by and observed this and thought it was kind of a strange choice for a meal. And the next day, same thing happened. Somebody walked by and observed this couple eating saltines and ketchup for their meal. Another day went by for lunch and for supper, saltine crackers and ketchup for their meal. And so the man inquired of the couple. And he said, can I ask why you guys are having that, that meal? That's all I've seen you eat the whole time. And they, say it's to, and they, they tell him the answer. It took all of our money to get the tickets for this cruise. And so we do not have any more money to go into one of the restaurants and to buy some of the food. Only to get the response from the gentleman, no, no, no. With the price of your ticket, you get all of the food. It's all included. And the same thing applies for us as God's children. It's not that we have to do something else necessarily to get more. The Apostle Paul here prays that their eyes are open to what they already have. And we will not be able to successfully live the Christian life without an increasing understanding of the amazing work that God has done for us. And so the expectation here is that the understanding of God's ways increases. That's how we grow, an understanding of his ways. This is the maturity that comes. And he prays it for them. Not like the one churchgoer that came to a Bible study and went up to the preacher afterwards and said, man, preacher, I'm sure glad I came. You gave me two great verses to use on my wicked neighbor when I get back home. This is gonna be perfect. No, the idea is is that it's for us. And Paul prays three things. We'll see them here. Paul prays that the believers will have the eyes of their heart opened or their inner person opened to what they have in Christ. The first one is found in the first part of 18. Look in 118 with me having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. That's number one if you're taking notes. That they would have their eyes opened to the hope to which God has called them. Do you understand that there are people in this world that are searching for purpose and searching for answers and they are looking in places that offer no hope I was talking recently with someone and they were talking about um, someone in their family that is an atheist. They're choosing to be an atheist. The atheist claims that there is no God for us to hope and everything within men that would search, there's no answer for the atheist. The agnostic says something almost, or it's just as sad. If there is a God, if there is a God, then we cannot know him. Understand this, the Apostle Paul, he had met the Lord Jesus Christ and he knew the hope of his calling. Now that word hope there, that um, is, can be confusing for us in the English language a little bit. Uh, the word hope um, is not like a child wanting a bike for Christmas, okay? The word hope here is not like a parent who is hoping they don't cancel school tomorrow morning because of the snow that is falling. That's not the kind of hope that we're talking about. Some of you parents know what I'm talking about today, right? That's not the idea of hope here. The idea of hope is something of certainty. Hope for the believers is not the wishful thinking of the world, but it is the absolute certainty that God will do what he said he would do. That's what it is. I am certain 
I am completely confident that God will do what he has said. He is God and he cannot lie. And this is what he has told me. And the word hope, hope might confuse us sometimes. I got in the car this past week and turned on the radio station and there was a song on there, a no-so salvation. I forgot which one of our guys played that in the, at the radio station this week, but it was a no-so salvation is what that name was. And of course, that song, no-so salvation, comes from 1 John five thirteen that we, may, we can know that we have eternal life which is kind of a response to so many people in this world. And if you'll ask them, do you know if you're going to heaven or will you go to heaven when you die? And they say, I hope so. Well, let me tell you what First John 5 says. You can know so. So it can be a little bit confusing. But you need to understand when Paul here writes about the hope, the hope that they can have, he's talking about an absolute certainty that God will do what he, will, what he said he will do. Then let's look at the second one. Also in verse 18. So I'm going to start reading at the beginning. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the, skip a few words, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. That's number two. The riches of his glorious inheritance. This inheritance consists of all that God has given us in salvation. And some of that you get right now. Some of you are worshiping earlier. Tapping your toe closing your eyes and singing right to God, some lifting their hands. You know a little bit of what you have in this and the rest which we will receive when we see him face to face. The inheritance must be a real part. Don't miss this. The inheritance must be a real part in our daily lives. This is why when we hear a song that talks about heaven, it resonates with us so much. We had a group in a few years ago now, 33 Miles was a singing group we had in here to Calvary. And they've got one song, I'm living in the days ahead. I'm already dancing on the streets of gold and I can't stop celebrating in my soul. I'm living in the days ahead. And we need to have a bit of that, that wonderful inheritance. And then the final ones in verse 19, look at it with me. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? according to the working of his great might. Now, as we've looked at Ephesians, I've already given you a warning. If you do not like exaggeration, you're going to have to approach this in the right way. And if someone's a doubter, they're going to think Paul's exaggerating here. Let me read it again for us in verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. He prays here that their eyes would be open to the power that they have. The third request is they would understand what is working on your behalf. Because brothers and sisters in Christ, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We have an enemy who is real and he has incredible resources And what you have is the power of Christ on your side. And Paul prays that their eyes would be opened to this. And when God's power is revealed, it's a beautiful thing. And can I just throw this out there and give you one more reference? When is God's power clearly seen in the life of a believer? When do we see God's power revealed very, very clearly? 2 Corinthians 12 gives us a clue where the Apostle Paul tells us, God says, my power is made perfect in what? 
weaknesses. Do you like that? No. You can say you do, and if you've been down that road and you can look at it from hindsight, maybe you do like it, but it's a tough, tough pill to swallow when we're going through it. Your weaknesses? My weaknesses? I don't like that. I'm trying to improve upon my weaknesses. Trying to build up in some of these ways. And yet, the Apostle Paul says he's going to rejoice in his weaknesses because that's when the power of God is revealed. And Paul tells these believers at Ephesus, I hope your eyes are opened to the incredible power that you have to go through this life. And I'm just going to read the last uh, few verses because it describes that power a little bit. Look at verse 20. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to what? The church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And just very, very, very quickly, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave is the power that lives in his children. And that's what he says here. He describes that power in that way. He also gives this picture that it is a power that is a reigning power. God reigns over all things, over all things. And so take confidence in that, follower of Jesus Christ. All right, what can we do with this? What are we supposed to do, you and I? Well, very clearly, I've already given us the takeaway. I want you to pray for an understanding of the certainty. We saw the word hope there. But the certainty that you have in Christ and the wealth that is yours and the power that you have, the power to be used for eternal purposes. Understand what these are. And specifically, you can go ahead and take this prayer that Paul prays. He prayed this for them and you can pray this. I've shared with some of you prayers that I will pray, specific things that I've prayed for my family. There are specific ways that I pray for the leadership here and their spouses here at Calvary. We can have generic prayers. We can have a sick list and many people to pray for for those things they're going through. But very much so, if you want to pray for me, write down these verses right here from Ephesians 1. Pray that my eyes would be opened even more to the power that we have to fight this good fight. Pray that I would have such a confidence in what God has done in this wonderful um, security of the Holy Spirit and pray that we would be living with an understanding of what we have in the road. And you can pray this for anyone. You can pray it for your grandchild. You can pray it for your child. You can pray it for your spouse. This is a beautiful prayer. Apply this example for how you pray for one another And then B, be a lifelong learner of the resources you have in Christ. And even if you have a photographic memory, and even if you've been reading it for 70 years, you can still take God's word and take it in and learn something beautiful about God. Maybe it's his riches. Maybe it's his faithfulness and what he did. Or the fact that he never changes. He's immutable. 
Maybe, maybe, maybe you'll see him being patient with one of these Old Testament saints or New Testament saints and you'll say, oh, that's why God's not struck me with lightning yet. Maybe that'll be it. Be a constant learner of the resources that you have. Years ago, I was listening to an evangelist speak and he gave me the words that somebody gave him when he was training to go into evangelism. And someone told him, these words, they said, never take your encouragement from your success. Take your encouragement from God's word because God's word will never change. We see the Apostle Paul and he starts out with a hymn of praise and what God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit did and then he prays for them this beautiful prayer that you and I can use. And can I challenge you today, pray this prayer. And pray it for yourself. God, open my eyes to what you are and then jump deep into his word. And then, and then perhaps when that burnout is knocking on your door because you're so busy, you'll have so much fuel. Can you picture it? You'll have so much fuel that is lit underneath you that you can do all of those things through the wonderful strength and power that God gives as we lean on him. I'm going to ask the men if they would go ahead and come forward.